Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart, a.k.a. Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 73. This episode is with Virginia Cinquemani and this episode is really looking at the soft skills around sustainability that enable us to communicate why the world needs us and the sustainable products that we offer. I'm going to keep this intro very short because I am just recovering from a fairly brutal COVID experience, uh, which has left me pretty exhausted. Uh, so to get this episode out at all, I am keeping this short. Uh, things to say before the episode. Uh, one thing to note is that Virginia's child was in the next room. Uh, they were off school sick. Um, the, you can hear a little bit of background noise. Uh, apologies. Uh, I don't think it will distract from Virginia's excellent words. Um, and also apologies. Uh, at one point I utter the phrase comfort zone. So, um, yeah, sorry about that. As per usual, uh, there is a whole list of links in the show notes for you to drill down into. Um, and one thing that got cut off the beginning of this uh, when we had some sound issues is that Virginia has a most excellent book called Sustainable, How to Find Success as a Sustainable Professional in a Rapidly Changing World. So do make sure you check that out. Virginia has had such an interesting and varied career, um, trained as an architect and spent many years working at BRE. Um, and talking about BRE is where we join the conversation. This this chat is pretty much 20 minutes of, of background and then 40 minutes of solid advice, uh, which I am totally grateful for. It's really been helpful in my world. Hopefully it is for you too. I'm back at the end. What happens at BRE? (laughs) Well, what happens at BRE stays at BRE, doesn't it? Um, (laughs) No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. It's a great organisation. It's it's, it's an ex-civil servant place, and that is felt (laughs) through and through in what happens there. But I really admire, you know, the entrepreneurship of BRE when they started Briam over 25 years ago now. It was really the first one to do anything like this. So the environmental assessment method for buildings, for those that probably very few that don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And from there, lead followed. And, and I think that's, you know, they're doing a lot of solid things, a lot of research, 
a lot of research on sustainability and sustainable buildings and a lot on fire safety as well. Um, and so I think these are the two main pillars. And I, I never got involved in fire, but a lot in sustainability. And uh-huh. um, yeah, it's all science based. Um, and yeah, really, really solid work, I would say. I I, uh, I was taken there. Uh, to the the innovation park, yeah, as as part of the the Prince's Foundation because the yeah the, there was the Prince's house built there. That's right. And it seemed seemed to me very much like a a theme park for, for building geeks. <laughs> it is, it is indeed. <laughs> I used to be for a short while the manager of the innovation park. So oh, right. that's why you know I wear so many hats and I wore so many hats in my life. Uh, for a couple of years, I was business development manager for the innovation park, and then I was managing that. And it was fun. It was fun to meet all these crazy inventors with wacky ideas. They wanted to uh, put them on the park, uh, attach them to the houses, or just test them, isolated yeah. from them. And it's really quite fun if you if you've been there. You know all the different styles of buildings and materials and energy. Yeah, for geeks, of course, of this particular <laughs> <laughs> sector. But it's really really great place to be fair to yeah. learn and to see different things. In my head, you know, uh, your time at BRE, you must have spoken to a lot of sustainability professionals. Mm-hmm. And did that then guide you into wanting to help them convey their message better? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it came from, because as a technical person, um, teaching Briam to other technical people, I realized how difficult it was for these people, especially at that time. Now things are changing rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, it was very, very hard to convince your clients that they, they needed to do this. It wasn't just a pretty thing, so, you know, a nice certificate on the wall. Because, I mean, to be fair, the industry is still driven by the pretty certificate on the wall. But it, it was very difficult to to drive sustainability in the building um, industry, which is a traditional industry anyway, based on techniques that are sometimes centuries old, not just years old, and and get into people's I you know people's mind to actually innovate or try something new. It mm. was very very hard, and it's still Getting hard. Out of that- because we've always done it. Exactly. Mindset. And that was the main, so there were two main arguments that my clients or, you know, people that I worked with and I spoke to told me and still tell me, um, you know, my, they, they say my clients think it costs too much or we always done it in a certain way. Why are you coming here and telling me to do it in a different way? Mm. So it's that resistance to change that is, is very strong in the industry. Um, the main thing, which is cost, is actually an excuse, I realized, because I've, I've developed a lot of thinking around this theme, particularly, because now I focus a lot about influencing stakeholders and selling sustainability in a meaningful way, so that everyone wins. We're not trying to convince them to do something that is bad for them. But at the same time, the ethical argument per se doesn't work. You know, not mm-hmm. everyone shares the same values. So this it costs too much is actually an excuse. And I invite my clients now to really explore why are your clients telling you it costs too much? Is it real? Or is it because they don't know enough? Or is it because they don't understand what it means to build sustainably? Or is it because they're just resistant and they always done things in the same way? So there's a bit of apathy there. So there are several different explanations and that it costs too much is the easy thing to say let's let's put it that way yeah there might be lots and lots of other very important fears underneath that you can address as a professional and just make sure your client actually feels reassured that you know it, it might not cost too much you know, let's do it together. Or, you know, sometimes people need to be held by, by hand and, and taken through that process. Mm-hmm. So that's what I found anyway in the last few years of researching around this topic. Um, well, I want to come back to that quite quite a lot later, but uh, I'm interested. Was there, a, uh, was there a particular moment when you realized you needed to make the, the shift? Yeah, absolutely. So I spoke to people, like I said before, I, I think I recognized, trained about a thousand people in the time I was at BRE uh, throughout Mm -hmm. my time there. 
And they came back with these difficulties of convincing their clients, etc. Then at one point we did a survey because I worked at the academy towards the end of my career there, the Berry Academy, which does the training stuff. And we did a survey to say, okay, what do you need in terms of new training courses? And overwhelmingly, people needed more soft skills. Mm -hmm. They needed more communication skills. They needed more arguments, really, to say, how do I actually sell these products? You know, it's all well and good that I got all this technical knowledge, but how do I transfer that to my clients? So that really... You know, it was a little light bulb in my head. They said, okay, these people actually don't need an extra qualification. Maybe they do, but you know what I mean? The next step is actually how to put these things in practice, how to talk to people in a way. And uh, the academy, you know, that wasn't their core product, so they didn't take it up. But then when I left BRE, I thought, actually, you know, I think there is something there that I can do. And I knew nothing about it, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Being an architect, being a sustainability consultant, I've got no clue, you know, how to do this. So I asked for help, as you do. I put together my company. I enrolled a bunch of um, psychologists, uh, behavioral psychologists, business psychologists, people that did communication training, all of these beautiful, you know, skills that I didn't have. And we put together a bunch of courses that are, you know, our legacy, a big green gorilla. Um, some of them are online now. Um, so we, we basically did them live first and then we decided to record them. And so they're all recorded there. And in the meantime, I started studying this because I, I found it absolutely fascinating. I moved from technical to social sciences in a way and understanding people's behavior around certain things, the resistance and change and all of that. And I'm about to finish a diploma in transformational coaching for that reason. Oh, wow. Nice. So, yeah, which is something that I absolutely love. And, um, uh, yeah, just seeing how people's resistance can be actually tackled um, in a way that is meaningful for them and, and that makes them you know, happy. <laughs> and it, this can be at the individual level, it can be at the company level, it can be in the industry. So the techniques are the same and the behaviors are very human. So they are mm-hmm. also shared. So that's how I, you know, transitioned from being technical to a bit less technical and more focused on social science and, and people. And and then, you know, and the rest is history because the company has been around for three and a half years. Um, it's a small company, you know, uh, but I, I hope we're doing meaningful work in that sense. Yeah. I mean, I see it a lot in, well, in my own life as well as others, just the, that difficulty in, in expressing, you know, the, the, the importance and the, how wonderful something's going to be oh. when you're a technical person <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you know, soft skills is definitely a thing that, I mean, this podcast for me is, is kind of about developing my soft skills. It's <laughs> pushing me out of my, my comfort zone and, uh, and trying to get me to improve. So, um, so yes, I, I'm very pleased that you're, you're doing such a thing. The thing also that I wanted to add to this is that it really is down to personalities and people mm. in this industry. So usually people that come to work in the building industry are usually architects and engineers. So generally speaking, technically minded. Um, so for the majority of the people in this industry, it's difficult, it's objectively difficult to relate to other people, to, to be people, people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really down to the fact that we love data and we love objectivity and, and, and technical stuff while on the other spectrum, there are people that are more, you know, able to communicate perhaps with others. And of course, this is a generalization, but that, that is a, an objective issue that we have in this industry. And um, we also love our jargon, don't we? We really mm-hmm. love our acronyms and our technical stuff. And it's difficult to understand that other people might not be at the same level. You might have a client who is a business person because they want to invest, right? A developer. They might not know the same details that you do. And and we forget that. And when you start using jargon, there is immediately a breakdown in communication, Mm. which in turn becomes lack of trust, which in turn you become less influencing, well, or or, or less able to influence others, let's say. 
Yeah. So there is a lot of personality, psychology elements there that can be overcome, by the way. They can be learned. It's, you know, nothing, nothing that can be learned. Yeah. It's, what I'm interested in is that, you know, architecture, the sort of technical stuff is a big shift for, or seems to be a big shift for from sort of where you are now mm-hmm. but i wondered if there's anything that was actually really beneficial from your your sort of earlier training oh absolutely first of all because i understand what my clients got through mm-hmm. i understand the way they think because i was there at one point now i'm a bit of an odd ball in that sense because when i did all this personality testing I don't fit into a specific box. I am not right. a technical person, 100%. And I'm not a socially, you know, a people-oriented person, 100%. I'm a bit of everything, which helps me with the job I do because it's quite unique. But the, the fact that I've been an architect and the fact that I've worked with technical people most of my life really mm. helps me to understand their thinking and where they come from. And that's what my coaching clients find helpful. I focus a lot on people that want to either get into sustainability or they are already midway there and, and they want just to improve their careers. So the, the fact that I understand them <laughs> is a very good starting <laughs> point because I understand what, how the brain a little bit works. Um, so that's for sure. But also now that I'm lecturing at Coventry University, and I'm lucky because one of the modules I teach on is actually stakeholder communication and engagement. So, uh-huh. you know, I'm using all of these skills. I'm so excited about this. But I also do environmental management. So my background in architecture and, and sustainability really helps with that because I'm still using my technical skills. Um, but definitely, I think it helps mainly with the um, with understanding what my clients are, are doing and, mm. and uh, the way they think. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I think a lot of uh, education seems to be trying to push people very much into a very specific, you know, narrow field of expertise. Yeah, and actually, you your your proof that a wider wider range of skills is is more useful. Do you know? It's funny when I finished with BRE, I was confused as to what mm. I wanted to do next. So much so that I explored becoming an illustrator or a photographer because right. I got that creative part to me. But then I realized actually having a wider set of skills, so having done business development, having done communication and relationship management at the BRE Academy, having done the technical part with Briam, Briam really helped to make me a uh, well, first of all, more able to become an entrepreneur because as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you need to actually do a bit of everything, especially at the beginning. Yes, very true. But also, if you have or if you develop, I would say, because all of this can be developed, or if you develop different skills, it definitely helps with advancing your career, even though you don't want to be an entrepreneur and maybe you want to you know, uh, climb the corporate ladder. More and more, you will see the leaders in companies are actually not technical people, or maybe they came from technical backgrounds, but then they are good communicators. They are leaders, and leaders are not people that are just able to manage. They're actually people that manage to inspire other people. So you need that communication, that charisma, that ability to get people on your side, that influencing. So I think it's not something that only you know, people that work, I don't know, um, in politics should really master. Architects, engineers, they should really focus their attention on their soft skills. And if you are an AIMA member, that's part of what you need to do anyway. Um, you know, developing the uh, the soft skills is part of the skills map that AIMA has developed. I think this is coming clearer i think it's becoming a bit clearer with time that people can't be just you know pigeonholed into yeah i'm a technical person i have a friend who's been an architect and for a long time has been designing only car parking (laughs) which is great (laughs) because he's a real expert in car parking but that's not enough if you want to progress and if you want to make a difference especially in sustainability 
you really, really need to master your communication skills at the very least. I think there's a thing in sustainability that we're all so passionate about uh, making things better. You know, I feel like in many ways we are trying to save the world, uh, which takes a lot of passion. Mm. Um, but yeah, to then have a stumbling block where we then can't actually uh, kind of communicate our our real passion to other people is is yeah quite a barrier we become preachers as well and nobody wins wants to be preached at i mean yeah. nobody i don't know one person in, in on this planet that wants to be preached and so it's important to the main thing i try and communicate to my clients is you need to come out of your brain and get into other people's brain that's mm-hmm. the main thing you need to do try and Forget about your thinking, your values. You know, we're passionate about sustainability. Great. That's your motivation. That's your, you know, that's your fuel to really push you through the difficulties. However, put them on the side. Understand who you got in front of you. Try and understand their personality and what they're interested in, because that's the way in. Once you really try and understand what your counterpart is interested in, whether it's money, then think, you know, talk about money. If they're interested in marketing, talk about marketing. If they're interested in becoming, you know, the first to build, you know, a a sustainable building in a certain region of the world, then by any means follow that. Don't try and fit a square square peg into a, a, a round hole. That's the main thing is, your thinking, your personality should be put on the side in a way in favor yeah. of understanding the other person and follow their lead yeah. in the discussion. So does that mean that the beginning of a discussion should be, how like how do you get that information? How do you find, is it lots of question asking or is it? It's absolutely, it's what we call active listening. Um even before that, so usually it's a, it's a progression from building the rapport. And that's another thing that we struggle with, unless we are um, outspoken or, you know, have an extrovert personality, it's difficult. But it's really important to start understanding who you got in front of you by simply asking, how are you? And, you know, <laughs> I find online difficult in that sense because is there is no water cooler moment and there is no oh how was your trip here you know you know do you find it difficult to find this place which we had when we had more face-to-face meetings mm-hmm. but it is important to spend you know three minutes understanding who you got in front of you the simplest thing go on linkedin look at their profile find something in common if you can Maybe you went to the same university. Maybe you're interested in the same companies. Maybe uh, something in their post is interesting for you and you can share that to that person. It's that little bit of commonality that makes us human that is important Mm -hmm. to value because the more you establish a rapport from, from the first moments, the more you're able to become trustworthy for that person. And the more you're able to have a conversation, which involves trust and involves, and, and yeah, eventually you can influence them. So it's those little silly, you know, chat, she chat at the beginning. Actually, they are very important for establishing the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then it's important to just listen, to really ask open questions. So open questions are those that start with how, what, when, etc., and not simply the lead to yes or no, as much as possible, of course. And just let them talk and listen and absorb and write down if you need to write down. It's that capacity to shut up, which is difficult for me, as you can tell, um, <laughs> <laughs> and let the other person do the majority of the talking. Although when I coach, Somehow I managed to transform into that active listener type of personality. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the beginning. That's the beginning. And then once they offload and and once you manage to to ask the right questions, then you are in a better position because you will have more information than if you did all the talking. And then you can start building your strategy to influence the other person. This, I mean, I'm not going to lie, the 
the idea of influencing someone else makes me feel a little bit mm. uh, uncomfortable. You know, I um, and I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, kind of sales and marketing and, and influence. And yeah, it's sort of traditionally in me, it, it definitely doesn't make me feel comfortable. But then I'm thinking about, uh, so I, I make earth floors. I know, you know, that the amount of carbon made by an earth floor is minuscule compared to a concrete floor. So if I can sell that idea, then, you know, the world gets one one fewer concrete floors and I get to afford some food. It's yeah. it's you know, it's a double win. Uh so yeah, how how have you got tips on kind of getting over that yeah, that fear of so it's not even fear, what is it? I think it's sort of I don't know. Do, do... I do know. I do know what you mean. And that is very common to people that got higher value, let's say, you know, people that are not natural born salespeople. Mm-hmm. And that's because we have this obsolete idea of selling as something bad or earning money as something dirty or yucky or whatever. Now, and that's also, okay, I don't want to go too deep into the psychology of it, but it's to do with uh, the idea of scarcity. So there is little money. It goes to the bad people. I am a good person. I can live with just a little bit. That's fine. That's all, you know, we are influenced in different way uh, to think along these lines. There is a lot of psychology behind it, you know, looking at how your parents treat money, whatever. But if we want to go to, you know, the solution, which is what I, I really like, the fact is when you try and sell something that is ethical, like your beautiful air flooring, it has a strong motivation behind it. You're not trying to con somebody to do something they don't want to do or to sell them a broken old car that you just repainted, you know, Matilda's father's style, if you're familiar with Matilda's <laughs> movie. <yeah? Yes>, indeed, <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing. You're not trying to do that. You're trying to do good for you, for your family, for yourself. You do, you're trying to do good for that person. Because the thing is, if we try and reframe the selling or the influencing others as I'm trying to help them. So if you try and reframe, I'm actually helping my client to have a better quality product, which has a side effect, which is amazing to reduce the carbon footprint and help the earth at the same time and help me putting foot on the table, food on the table. So it's a win, 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 win. It's not just a win, win. So it's, Trying and reframing the selling act to I'm helping people mm-hmm. and because you are effectively helping them address a problem, they need to put flooring in their buildings. How can they do that? They can use their high carbon solution, which we don't like, or they can use yours, which is much better from every point of view. So you're helping. That's all. Is that helping navigate the plethora of options that are out there. That's the thing. People don't need salespeople anymore because they can just click and they can have all the information at their fingertips, right? But what we do when we sell our ideas, our products, we help them make sense of that abundance of information out there and trying to focus on their needs and finding the right solution. So the sustainability selling process is a bespoke process. You can't just use a solution for every possible building. You can't just use an idea for every possible person, okay? you. That's why it's important to build up that relationship because then you will understand the individual needs and then you can respond with a specific product or a specific idea and you help them find exactly what they needed so it's, you know so win-win or win-win-win-win-win like i said before <laughs> yes nice that's it i'm doing a good thing oh <laughs> you are <laughs> totally you are you are <laughs> i think i guess i'm i'm there's been lots of occasions when i've had you know really pushy salespeople mm. uh giving me their their spiel mm. and that is that is what's in my head as as what kind of influence and sales is but that's unfortunately what we all have as an experience you know i'm i was growing up in the 80s 
And, you know, there were people knocking at the door trying to sell encyclopedias and vacuum cleaners and what have you. Do we need an encyclopedia? No, we already have one. But then they push and push and push until you give up or mm-hmm. give in even. Um, and that's and that's bad, of course. And that's unfortunately our old idea of salespeople. Like I said, you know, the Matilda's dad, a type of person. But no, we are in the modern era of sell, ethical selling, ethical marketing, we need to let people know that there are these alternatives to high carbon, planet destroying products. They have much bigger budgets than us and they use them relentlessly to sell in that unethical way. We can do better. Our clients can do better. We have an obligation, a responsibility to let them know that we can help them in a better way. So if we shift it to actually, I got that responsibility to let them know about my beautiful products. Then, you know, as soon as you tell yourself that story a bit more, your brain will start believing it. That's the difficulty is that, you know, (laughs) your brain refusing the nicer narrative in favor of the old narrative. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I feel, I feel better already. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so a situation that I will quite often come across, uh, I'll use the earth floors again as a, an example. Uh, so I can think of a very clear example when I met someone who was building themselves a passive house and uh, I said, well, you should put an earth floor in that. And they said, no, you know, absolutely not. We're having a concrete floor. This is what we're doing. We know best. Uh, and at that point, you know, for me, I was... I was done. You know, I had I had nothing else to say because their mind was made up. Okay. The thing is, salespeople can teach us something. And one thing they can teach us is that no is never no, but is not yet. Okay. Um, so even somebody that say no, you can challenge that in a very polite way and say, apologies, but why? Why not? And then they were my say, oh, it's cheaper. Hmm, okay, but have you seen, you know, this option and that option? Or they might say, oh, we always done it that way. And we go back mm-hmm. to what we said at the beginning. Why? Open question, why? Oh, can you share with me why is that? Because the thing is, when you say why, it can be quite confrontational. You can mm. say why. And people feel attacked, like you are actually judging them for what they said but if you said oh can you explain how is that or you know try and reformulate it in a way that is a bit gentler or just say you know just just for my curiosity why why do you why do you say that so if you put it on the curiosity thing just saying you know i'm curious to say why because you know i've sold this product and i've made this product or whatever i'm just interested in understanding how we can make it better or why do you think that way and then you start a conversation and i I'm pretty sure, you know, 90% of the times you will get a different answer at the end or something that you can challenge or you can build upon. And it might be Mm -hmm. that they're not going to buy from you. But also, the other thing is, if they say, no, we're going to put a a concrete floor and there's a passive house, do you have an example of another passive house where you use your flooring to great success? Because that's another thing that you can bring to the table. It's a case study. So that's Mm -hmm. part of the storytelling element of selling, which some people are very good at. But in our technical world, you can limit it to case studies, good case studies that people trust or can get inspired from. If somebody else has done it, then I can do it as well. Is that element of... um, I'm not a pioneer. Some people are just risk adverse. They don't want to try new things. And an mm-hmm. earth floor sounds interesting, maybe tree huggery if you want, if you're somebody yeah. that could, is. Could. does appear that way sometimes. <laughs> exactly. So some people are just not interested because they have a bias towards that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So if you have a case study that works and that worked and you got the data and everything, and these people are data-oriented or maybe money-oriented, and again, takes a bit of time to understand what sort of person you got in front of you. Then you said, oh, you know, in this particular case, actually worked really well. It was a similar situation, similar building, 
these are the data, or they save this much money per year in, you know, in bills or whatever it is that, that they're interested in. So I would say a couple of, just to summarize, ask the question why, mm-hmm. so that you understand, you know, why they're saying that. And it's helpful for you, I suppose, as well, to build up your, you know, your business. Absolutely. But also have some case studies ready to demonstrate because they will come back with, oh, you know, I've never heard of, maybe they don't know what it is. When mm-hmm. you say, you know, airflow, what is it? It sounds like tree huggery. I don't, I don't want to get involved. You know, concrete has been around for 100 years. It's fine. I know what it is. But what about this wacky thing? I don't understand. So, again, explaining proposing something that has been already tested and tried and everything can help um so we touched a little bit on stories then Mm. um now i'm i'm doing a fair bit of reading on the sort of soft skills of of the industry at the moment and stories keeps coming up Mm -hmm. as as the really important thing uh can you can you sort of tell us a little bit about why it's important we'll be back after a quick break Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's fundamental. Having stories is fundamental to any influencing, selling, or even establishing a relationship with somebody. And that's because as human beings, we're hardwired to understand stories and to learn from stories. If you think about before the writing <laughs> came into place, we, we, we learned through stories told by our grandparents. So our brain works better when you can connect meaningful data together, and that's done through a story. If you think about the classic TED Talk for 18 minutes, it always starts with a story, or for the majority, let me tell you a story, or, you know, there was a man, etc. cetera. Um, and that's because that grabs the attention of people. Or even a little anecdote can do that. You know, when you, or, or even using a metaphor can do that. Is that using imagery in your head that can help making things clearer for people? And that's why we struggle as technical people because we use data and we use percentages. But how about putting things together in a way that makes a story that people can remember better? That's the other thing. You know, for example, I'm fascinated by people that can learn, you know, hundreds of numbers in a series. I'm sure, you know, there are mm-hmm. championship yeah. of people that can remember numbers one after the other one. And if you go deeper into this and the techniques that they use, they don't learn the numbers. They associate the numbers with a particular, for example, a road in, in their city. So they have a tree at the, at the corner, a specific corner, and then they have a five under the bridge, and then they have a six where the, where the bridge is or, you know, the, the river, whatever. So it's a story they tell in their head that there is, a, a, there is a, a route that they follow, a map, and that's what brains do. So when you tell a story, you effectively put together things that are random into a meaningful and a, and a, and a memorable way. Mm-hmm. So for us in this industry, as I said before, the best thing is really to come up with case studies and tell the story of the case study. What was the challenge? So, you know, stories usually work exactly in the same way. Every movie you've ever seen works in the same way. So you have the beginning, the background, life as usual, everything is pretty and nice, etc. So that's the context. Then something happens, right? There is a disruption of some sort. Then there is a hero that mm, work, you know, try and solves that problem. Sometimes you've got a mentor or something that helps or an idea that comes into place to help out. So there is a twist, 
in that story. And stories mainly work with twists. And then, and, and usually it's, a, it's one twist after the other one. And then finally you have the resolution and the, you know, the happy ending, hopefully happy ending. In a story for our industry, it could be, okay, this was the background. We had a challenge. You know, the, we needed to build a passive house in a place where usually it's never been done. Okay, or maybe it was a commercial building, which are typically difficult to do passive house with. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge. That's the context. That's the challenge. What did we do? What ideas did we bring to the table? Uh, who did we, you know, who do we, did we ask? So, and you start building how you manage to overcome that challenge. Maybe there is another challenge. Maybe you run out of money. Great, you know, it's another twist in the story. Then, you know, that grabs the attention. And then finally, that's the resolution. So, so long as the story is told, where in a way that you have a number of twists or buts, or you know, everything was well, but this happened. Um, then you grab the attention of people. It becomes memorable. People pay attention, and it really appeals to to the brain effectively. Yeah, fantastic. There are definitely people that are very good at stories, and there are very people that are very you know they will tell a confusing story or the <laughs> yeah or the you know it sort of jumps all over the place or is very very sort of flat and mm -hmm. and you know kind of doesn't go anywhere so what's what's the question in that <laughs> if there is one easy way to make up a story i guess so and also <laughs> i mean also but I, mean, I think you've sort of told us that is sort of how to recognize uh the bad stories mm. um so in my book, I researched around this quite a lot, and it's one of my favorite topics, sorry, storytelling. And I came across a guy called Randy Olson, who was a scientist, a biologist, a marine biologist, that then started doing filmmaking in Hollywood, so changed his career. And he realized how bad scientists are at telling stories. Usually it's a flat line. So it's a yeah. number of data after a number of data after more data and percentages. That's the flat element. Is there A, 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 as he called this? So and, 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 and a fact and another fact and another fact. Then there are the confusing people, which got plenty of examples around, um, sometimes in the government as well, uh, <laughs> that they just mumble. They just mumble and it's very confusing and is what he called, what he calls despite, however, yet. So you never really reach a point. It's always, you know, there is always another element and another element, and it's just not getting to anything. And then there is a very simple, and I really like the beauty of simplicity sometimes. It's called ABT, and, but, therefore. So exactly what I was saying before. You said the context and this has happened and this was, you know, what was life before we had the challenge, which is the but. But something particular happened. We had to deal with the challenge. Therefore, this is what happened and this is the conclusion. So it's very simple. The key element there is the but, is the, is the twist that I was saying before, is something that makes the story interesting. So you can set the context and have your data and have the end and end, but then you need you need the challenge. You need to explain the challenge and how you dealt with it. And therefore, this is what happened and this is the conclusion. So it's a very tried and tested formula in a way. Um, and if you think about any movie, a Disney movie, an action movie, they always work in the same way. So just try and incorporate or just retell the story of whatever you have in there, whether it's a case study or or just presenting the results from research or whatever, in a way that follows this simple A, B, T pattern mm. and partner for, and you will have a better result in terms of engagement, I would say. Would you go away and, and practice this? Is this mm. a thing you would, you know, would you think about all your case studies and then script them? I would say so, yes. If you are serious about, say, selling your products, start preparing a little library almost of case studies that are useful and they can maybe cater for different needs depending on the client. 
and tell that story, rescript it, it, or at least have clear what the challenge was, what was before, what the challenge was, what was the result. As simple as that. Um, And practice it. You know, there there are mirrors just telling yourself that story. Um, I I find it quite useful also to record myself, which is a bit cringy, but Mm -hmm. now I'm so used to my own... <laughs> but you know, now I'm so used to my own face on Zoom that, or, or like this, you know, this particular podcast platform that is it's okay. You know, I look at myself, it's okay. And once you record yourself, or even on your mobile phone, once you will see where you're stumbling. Or, mm-hmm. for example, if you're going too fast, it's very easy to go very fast because we want to get over with whatever we are doing or because like in my case when I came to this country I didn't want to show the mistakes I was making while speaking in English so I was going very fast which is counterintuitive but actually that's or trying to demonstrate that I knew more than I did Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, nervousness can lead you to speak fast but if you stop and think and you know and tell your story sort of you know, slowly, uh, and then do it twice and do it three times, and then it will become second nature. And then it'll be more convincing. You won't need to look at the details on paper because you will have them all in your head. And that those are the best stories where you actually have rehearsed and they come out quite naturally from you. Following on from stories, um, have you seen the movie Don't Look Up? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what you're doing as the the sort of media training uh, that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character went through? Uh, Oh, my God. Uh, Yes, (laughs) I suppose, yes. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio actually is perfect, perfect example of the scientist that is Mm. so engrossed in his own troubles and in his own thinking. Uh, At the beginning, it's really terrible, you can tell. You can tell how... You can't tell that story. People just are not interested. Now, I'm not saying that you need to put, you know, the celebrity gossip in in what you're saying, but being able to tell the story in a different way um, or to children. You know, I liked it when they, you know, they had the puppets and they were telling the story with the puppets. Um, you need to be able to to talk to different audiences and and explain complex concepts simply as simple mm-hmm. as possible because otherwise you don't have really any influence at all any engagement so in that case yes maybe i am the media trainer <laughs> <laughs> i wish i'd done it for leonardo dicaprio but no i wasn't <laughs> 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 it wasn't me unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of that film so i have mixed feelings about it i talked about it with my colleagues at the university we all had different opinions about it about, about it i think it's good in the way that makes you really clear makes really clear what we're doing wrong and mm-hmm. you know how our focus our attention are all on the wrong things now, if people follow me on LinkedIn, they will see that I've started doing a newsletter on a monthly basis. And the first one on, in January was all about attention because I started becoming more and more um, focused on that particular topic. Attention is important. Where you put your attention basically is where you live your life. Yeah. If you put your attention on social media and scrolling and, you know, celebrity gossip or whatever, you know, guilty pleasure you got, that's all your life. That's all, what your life is made of. If you are focusing your attention on the serious issues and, and sustainability and transcending the planet, that's what your life is, it is. And unfortunately, as a society, we are losing the ability to pay attention to anything that is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And even people in our industry that are interested get sidetracked purposefully um, by the silliness of what's surrounding us. And I'm not saying that we can't spend time, you know, chilling or, you know, just doing stuff that isn't meaningful because sometimes we need to let our head down and that's fine. However, is how much of your life is actually focused on posting on Instagram your latest dinner or and how much is actually engaging with your local MP 
and, and making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to point the finger at anyone because I'm just as prone to distraction as anyone else. And unfortunately, it's not even our fault. It's the way our devices have been built that has made us all addicts of, of them. And they're fantastic tools if they're used in the right way. It's just very, very difficult to use them in the right way. Yeah. So I think from that point of view, the movie was really quite illuminating in a way. You know, you look at it and say, yeah, absolutely. We are spending time thinking about, you know, these two celebrities breaking up, not really focusing on the immediate threat right in front of our eyes. And that's the world we live in. So we need to really carve time to think deep. That's what I've came, you know, to the conclusion is, and it's a great book that I've recently read, which is Deep Work by Carl Newport. It's amazing. And it's a guy who's never even been on Facebook, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) He's a researcher and he's made his life uh, around deep work. And he's not like, uh, you know, it's actually very readable. It's 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 not a book that is too heavy to read. But it does focus your attention on we can't go on like this if we want to make a difference we really need to make the time to stop all the distractions and focus on our values on what we really want to achieve because multitasking is overrated it just doesn't work so yeah just a long you know (laughs) long way to say yeah i enjoyed the movie from that point of view on the other hand, uh, it was a bit too cartoony for me. In a it way. was very cartoony, wasn't it? I, I found it a bit too cartoony for my liking. And I don't know why they did it that way. Maybe to appeal to a larger public. I don't know. Yeah. But that was for me the downside of it. I think uh, it did very nicely highlight uh, what I'm feeling a lot of, which is that uh, the government level... Uh, they don't want to make changes that are too drastic because they have to be re-elected in five years' time. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I think that's a devastating uh, thing because we need strong, strong action that, that might not be popular but is the right thing to do. Absolutely. I think the governments pretty much around the world, which you know, based on a four-year mandate or five-year, is, is way too short to do anything meaningful. I was really heartbroken when I was reading a bit more about the Obama administration, for example, and how he chose, because I'm not in America, I didn't follow it that closely, but he chose to focus on healthcare instead of climate because he knew it would have been too short a time to develop anything. And it's a hard decision to make when you are, a, you know, a seriously, you know, genuinely good guy. But he decided that actually that was priority and there's so much time. And then it was a bit of his work, it was undone. And it's just heartbreaking to think, you know, there are people that want to change the world and maybe they have the power to do so. But because of the way politics are built, it's very hard. So Yeah, bigger. bigger. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I find it hard not to, uh, to be kind of beaten down by those... Mm. Uh, those realizations but another book you know i like i like my books uh, which is really positive because i always you know probably we are towards the end of this podcast in a way but i want to you know inject a bit of optimism because it's easy to get you know to 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 get caught into the negativity of the situation Mm. we're in uh the future we choose by Christiana Figueres, I thought it was a nice, very inspiring book. I don't know if you're familiar with with the theme or or with what Christiana Figueres um, says, but Christiana Figueres was in charge of of the United Nations uh, COP when the Paris Agreement came out. And she did something quite, you know, pretty impossible to put together 174 nations and make them sign the agreement. Um, it was, it, it felt impossible, but she did it. And the way she did it, she says, is by using stubborn optimism. And I love the concept of stubborn optimism, because if you really believe in something, you can achieve it. And we see it in our lives so when something is, you know, feels quite distant and difficult. But then if we put our mind into things, 
somehow magically things align in a way that you actually manage to achieve them. And the same goes for, for Cristina Figueres. Her dad was the Costa Rican president for two mandates. If you look at Costa Rica, they got pretty much all renewable energy. They have really good policies. They managed to achieve a lot for a small country. And I think that's the, you know, that's the spirit. That's what you need to do. It is possible to change. It is possible to save the planet if we choose to do it. Day after day after day in our individual decision, business decisions, pushing our governments to do better. It is possible. And if we, people that really care about it, don't adopt that optimistic attitude, who's going to do it? The people that are deniers? Certainly not. So we have, and more and more people are becoming interested in this. So I think we have power we just need to find it and we need to choose to use it fantastic um i've got one last thing i wanted to ask you about and that was um it was kind of following on from from just a bit before but Mm -hmm. your your slow 2022 (laughs) yeah uh so what what was what what is it and and how's it going um so during the pandemic like many people i found myself obviously at home and I have two young children so I had to do homeschooling for them I had to carry on with my business it's an understatement to say that it was a nightmare I sort of enjoyed the first lockdown because we could go out and it was spring it was a lovely spring you know I spent time with my children which never happens really in that you know, that quality time. So in a way, it was more enjoyable than the second, which came in winter 2021, which was horrendous. And I came very, very close to burnout twice, really to a point that I love what I do. And I can probably, you can probably tell I'm a very enthusiastic person. I just didn't have the energy. I just didn't feel like doing anything at all. So I thought, hold on one second, what's going on here? And I did a bit of an inventory of my life. And I, I am a, I am an overcommitter. I love doing things. I love becoming involved in all sorts of interesting projects. Uh, I have a number of activities I do, but that's not the problem. The problem, seriously, was being distracted by the minor, superficial things that I was getting involved in. One was definitely social media. As stupid as it sounds, you know, for a 44-year-old woman, (laughs) social media was, you know, part of my life in a way that it was, you know, getting um, really out of hand. Um, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Okay, because I feel a bit like a teenager when I say that. No, no. (laughs) Um, Literally spending so much, even if LinkedIn is my favorite platform, but I was spending way too much time on it. And as much as it's giving me a lot of value, the time I was spending getting involved into stuff that I really don't care about, if I think about it, it was too much. It was too much. And was another book was instrumental into changing my mind and is 4,000 Weeks. Um, by Oliver Berkman. It was an incredible book to read because he made me realize, so without spoilers, well, it's, you know, if you read it on the internet, it will spoil anyway the main thing, which is we only have on average 4,000 weeks to leave, which sound incredibly short to me anyway, also mm. because theoretically I'm well over the half of that. <laughs> so... What am I doing? What am I doing watching silly cats videos and, <laughs> you know, people doing drunken, uh, I don't know, whatever. It, it just is, is, is really silly. I have better things to do. I have a business to run. I have a mission to make this planet a bit greener via the things that I do. Why am I getting so distracted on things that don't add any value to my life? So that's where this low 2022 came. I read those books. I thought, actually, this makes perfect sense. What what would I, what do I want to do that is meaningful? And that sounds like I'm not having any, any fun. But actually, if you work deeply for a few hours a day, then you have a lot of time to spend to do fun things because you focus your attention and you spend less time 
with a higher quality product at the end. And then you have a lot of time to do meaningful, fun things. For me, that is, I don't know, spending time with my children and doing, you know, yoga and reading. And uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they sound quite nice to me. <laughs> play, playing piano, which I play really badly, but hey, it makes me happy. So all things that are not scrolling social media. And I hear people saying, I haven't got time. Well, mm, really look at the activities you do every day. And I invite my clients sometimes to do a proper inventory, like, okay, you wake up at this time and you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. And you realize how much time is spent on stuff that is either not meaningful to you or um, just plainly waste of time on things that don't add anything to you, to others. So that's where Slow 22 came, came from. And I'm, I think, you know, you get into the swing of things, you get busy with work, but I am keeping it. I'm keeping it up. My social media use is very little still. Um, the only platform I'm using really is LinkedIn. And the more you train yourself, say, to not to get entertained while you're doing something else, for example, I do a lot of commuting, unfortunately, to go to Coventry because I don't live close by. So the easiest thing is to switch on the radio or, or put some stuff on, which is useful as well, you know, podcasts, that sort of thing. But I make a point at least once a, a week, which is three hours driving, so it's quite a lot, of actually not putting anything on mm. and just be with myself. It's uncomfortable. But that's the good thing, is pushing the envelope of your comfort zone, is thinking. Sometimes I start my, my journey with a problem in mind or something I want to sort out, and I work it out in my head. And you'll be surprised by the results of it. When we, have, we give ourselves time to think and not yeah. being distracted, how wonderful it is. I feel much happier. That's the result. I feel much happier. I, I I used to feel anxious and it's not something that I'm familiar with. I'm not an anxious person, but I started experiencing anxiety. And then I realized he was actually connected to that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what people want to join me in this. <laughs> it's just it, training yourself little by little, I suppose, that, that helps. Yeah. Well, I had uh, just this beginning of this week, I was in Bristol and uh, my phone charger broke. And so I spent a day in Bristol with nothing really to do uh, and no phone. And the thing I noticed most was when I was eating my breakfast, I I just noticed so many things. Mm. You know, I noticed the architecture uh, in the buildings around me and how some of them were very sort of similarly styled and how some were really, you know, awkwardly styled. And, you know, picking up little details and seeing you know, this chap go about his work and sort of seeing how he looked a bit uh, sort of lost mm. and then sort of found his his rhythm. Um, and I just thought, you know, all of these things I would have completely missed because uh, my, my head would have been down and looking at, you know, cat videos or or whatever it is yeah. and distracting myself. Um, so, yes, I, that I definitely had a, a feeling that that's how I want to spend more of my time is being being present. It's living the expanded life, if you want. So instead of going in a you know, linear way, it's actually you're trying to expand and go larger. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. the way I figure it in my head or deeper, if you want. And you don't have to do it all the time, but it's just you know, giving yourself maybe one breakfast a week where you experience that or a dinner a week or whatever it is without distractions, without just, just along with your thoughts uh, – you know, it does increase your levels of happiness, empathy even, because we become more in tune with ourselves. And I think that helps also understanding others. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Brilliant. Thanks, Virginia. Uh, Very inspiring and helpful stuff. Again, keeping this very short, if this is your first episode, then make sure you subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There are 72 other episodes for your listening pleasure. So see what takes your fancy and then uh, just listen to them all. So yes, please keep sharing this episode and the podcast whenever you can. It really helps the podcast to grow its audience. Uh, We were in the top 30 podcasts in the education category in Denmark last month. Yep. It's happening. It's really happening. Uh, Thank you for listening, um, and thank you for being a wonderful person doing excellent things. Until next time, bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.